In 2022, a crack-riding duo was sent to prison for podcasting crimes that they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security prison to the Austin Underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as Game Masters of Fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find their website, maybe you can hire Retro Arcana. We join our hosts now as they enter the elevator at the Top Secret Podcast Bunker. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Bobby. Oh, man. It's been a hell of a week. But hey, I've got something new to read here. Oh, yeah? What you looking at? I'm looking at Interface Zero 3.0. Is that a new version of the one we looked at before? It is indeed. It is indeed. I, I'm still not through the book yet, and so I'm not sure necessarily what all the changes are. But um, I've been a big fan of Interface Zero 2.0 since I, I backed the Kickstarter uh, a couple years ago. Got both the Savage Worlds and the Fate version of it. And uh, yeah, I ended up playing the Savage Worlds version um, more than the Fate, but... As a huge fan of Fate, I just couldn't not get it. Well, yeah, we both love Fate. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm not 100% sure of the changes in here yet, but Interface Zero does a great job of creating a, a fully immersive cyberpunk setting um, in the year of 2095. And, you know, as, you know, longtime fans of cyberpunk, the original game, and, uh, and Shadowrun, you know, I, I'm always a big fan of any kind of cyberpunk offerings, regardless of the uh, of the system. Oh, absolutely. So how well do you feel like you could do straight cyberpunk or fantasy cyberpunk a la Shadowrun with Interface Zero Three? Well, considering that it uses Savage Worlds, I feel like I could do it pretty good. Savage Worlds is kind of one of those... Uh, one of those rules sets that can accomplish a lot with pretty much anything. All you have to do is turn off features here and there, add features, and you can do whatever you want to. Hey, what what book is that? Well, you know, it's funny you should mention Savage Worlds because I'm looking at a Savage Worlds book this week too. It's the Savage Worlds version of Robotech Macross. Um, it's from Battlefield Press, the recently late sadly great jonathan m thompson wrote this one and uh, this is pretty much everything you need along with a copy of suede to fly your transformable vf1 valkyrie fighters against these entrati giants it's pretty cool that is pretty cool i mean i never personally got into macross but you know me fan of giant stompy robots Oh, yeah. You'd really kind of dig this one. The The Macross storyline, whether you're going with the original Japanese or the Americanized version known as Robotech, um, it's pretty cool. You know, there's an alien spaceship. It crashes on Earth. The humans learn how to build high technological items like Mecha. And then the aliens come looking for their ship. And the rest of the story is about the people aboard this restored starship accidentally activating their FTL drive and ending up past Pluto and then having to drag their asses home over two years on impulse power. So uh, you end up with a lot of cool space fighter fights and 
you find out about the aliens culture or lack thereof it's it's pretty neat and because there's a whole city on this ship you could have whatever adventures you want outside of the cockpit wandering around the the city while the ship makes its way home that is pretty cool it's a great concept Oh yeah, I mean there, there's a little bit of Galactica in there, you know, and there's there's a lot of big stompy robots, um, and the cool part is you can find model kits and miniatures of these things all over the place. So if you wanted to really go savage with it and have your minis on the tabletop, there's several options for going out and and finding just what you need. Oh, that's very cool. You know, I got an idea, Jeff. Yeah. You have a Savage Worlds. Uh book there i've got a savage worlds book let's do an entire episode about savage worlds oh you think i mean it seems like we should at this point you know i think that's a great idea as soon as the elevator gets us where we're going uh let's go in the studio and talk about savage worlds how about that elevators arrive I love it. Always just in the nick of time. I know. It's great. All right, Jeff. Let's get started. Now in the secret podcast bunker, our heroes begin the Retro Arcana podcast. Welcome to the Retro Arcana podcast. As you heard, Jeff and I had a cool idea on the elevator ride down, and we're just going to jump right in. So, what is Savage Worlds? Savage Worlds was created by Shane Lacey Hensley of Pinnacle Entertainment Group. It started out as a game called The Great Rail Wars, released in 1997, and it had such an interesting system, it was expanded into the original Deadlands, and then again into Savage Worlds a general rule set of any game setting looking to be, in Pinnacle's words, fast, furious, and fun. So it's gone through several revisions. The current version is the Savage Worlds Adventure Edition, or Suede. Uh, the game is presented as a 208-page graphic novel-sized hardcover with full-color interiors that can be purchased at your local game store, through Amazon, or directly from Pinnacle. At the time of this recording, it's kind of hard to get your hands on due to a huge run on the books back in January. But as I understand it, they are in the pipe right now and should be back on shelves shortly. So Savage World's characters are known as wild cards, and we're going to get a little bit more into that later. But like all kinds of characters, it's kind of a, just a combination of attributes and skills, in this case called traits. There are five uh, attributes in Savage Worlds, uh, agility, which uh, counts for physical precision and speed, smarts, which is your mental power, spirit, which is your willpower, strength is your physical power, and vigor, which is your physical health. In addition to these attributes, you can have up to 30-some-odd skills depending on how you want to do things. Every Savage setting uses a different combination of skills. But there are five, and this is a new thing um, with the latest edition, Sway, what are called core skills. There are five core skills. Um, in your book, they'll be labeled with a red star, but these are things that 
all characters have at least a uh, single skill point in. They get these five skills for free starting at D4, and that's athletics, common knowledge, notice, persuasion, and stealth. They're innate. Um, it's something that all adventurers have. So in addition to your traits, you also have hindrances, which are things that you take upon your character that are not necessarily beneficial, but they give you points back so that you can buy more traits or edges. Um, and they allow you to basically take some interesting things for your character, for the GM to grab onto, and then uh, in return, get a more powerful character. So some of these hindrances include things like all thumbs. You're just really bad with mechanical or technological devices. Or perhaps you're mild-mannered. It gives you a penalty on your intimidation rolls. Or maybe your character, like myself, struggles with their weight a little bit, which can have several social and even physical issues. Like... um on one hand, it increases your toughness, but it also reduces your pace and considers your strength the die type less for carrying capacity because you're already carrying extra weight. There's all different kinds of hindrances you can choose. And when you choose them, you have the ability to counterbalance them with different things that, again, could be as simple as raising a skill or raising an attribute or grabbing an edge. What are edges? Edges fill the design space that most D20 players would recognize as a feat. Edges are cool things that set your character apart from other characters by giving you abilities that those characters don't have. And the edges are broken down into um, categories that determine how the edge is made available to your character. There are background edges, which you can only take at character creation because there's something inherent to your character's background and how they grew up. There are leadership edges, which very specifically have to do with your character's ability to lead. Um, a moment ago, Bobby mentioned that your characters are wild cards. Later in this podcast, we're going to get into the difference between a wild card and an extra, uh, which are characters that are basically everyone else in the world that aren't um, main characters in the story whether PCs or NPCs and these leadership edges will give you the ability to influence those extras quite a bit um, there are combat and non-combat edges, there are social edges and they all give you different abilities um, if you want to play a spellcaster you take an arcane background and now your character can cast spells um, that's a good example, however, of an edge that may not be available in every Savage World setting. If Bobby was going to run a cyberpunk game, he would want to tell me whether or not arcane backgrounds were available. If we're going straight cyberpunk, then maybe not. But if we're going something more like Shadowrun, could be a possibility. And speaking of powers, that right there, uh, what Jeff was saying about the arcane backgrounds... That encompasses everything that's magical, mystical, potentially technological, as in with Deadlands, with the uh, the weird science, psionic, or mutant powers. 
Um, we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but there's a whole superpowers compendium that expands on this quite greatly for uh, a superpower game. So on top of powers, edges, and traits, you finish it off with gear, the stuff your character carries. Every Savage setting, including a lack of setting if you're just running from the straight book, has a starting amount of wealth and a list of allowable equipment. What you do at that point is spend the wealth on the equipment, and you've got to work out with your GM what's available and what's not, uh, depending on the setting. But your gear will help define your character in what they can do with it. There's armor, just like in any other game, um, but armor works a little differently in Savage Worlds than what players of, say, the world's most popular role-playing game may be used to. Um, weapons all have different abilities. Vehicles are integrated into the system. Gear can be pretty cool, and uh, some of the settings have extensive lists of very specific gear. So let's jump right into the mechanics of Savage Worlds, specifically the dice mechanics. The first thing you'll notice when you're you're playing Savage Worlds is you've got a dice chain. You might remember a dice chain from when we talked about game mechanics in a previous episode. Dice chain uh, means you'll start with a D4 in most cases, and then as you buy more skills or higher ranks in a skill, it'll move from a D4 to a D6, to a D8, to a D10, to a D12, and then a D12 plus 1 and D12 plus 2. A D20 is very rarely used in Savage Worlds, but all of the rest of the dice are used quite extensively. So one term that you'll hear in Savage Worlds is the wild die. The wild die is possessed only by characters that are considered wild cards. All PCs by default are wild cards, and NPCs who are basically important NPCs, are also wild cards. Um, take the example of G.I. Joe. The average Cobra soldier in a blue suit is not going to be a wild card. They're an extra. However, Major Blood or Destro, they're wild cards, and they're on the same level as your PCs. What the wild die is, is an additional die you roll alongside the other die in the die chain that you're using for your trait test. When you roll both dice, you take the more favorable of the two dice. So the standard wild die is a D6, but maybe you only have a D4 in your notice. You'll roll both of them, and whichever one is higher is the one you take. The wild die can be a huge advantage um, in your trait tests. Something else that the dice mechanics uh, do, and there's something, it's called acing. If you roll the maximum value on a die, that die explodes. And then you add the subsequent die rolls. Um, so let's say going back with the, uh, the, wild, uh, the wild die there, a D6 wild die and a D8 skill. You roll both, you only get a 4 on the D8, but you get a 6 on the D6. You roll that D6 again and get another 6. You roll that D6 again and get a 1. Well, guess what? You've just rolled a 13. Um, and then you'll count that 13 towards whatever the target number is. And target numbers can vary, uh, vary a little bit. But for the most part, it's going to be target number four. 
You're looking for a four. That's it. So you're looking for a four. If you achieve that four, you've achieved a success. And whatever it was you were trying to do has happened successfully. If you don't roll that four or better, you've failed. If you roll a one, you have a critical failure. A critical failure occurs on a one or for wild cards when both the wild die and the trait die roll a one. In other words, it happens a lot less often for wild cards. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you beat your target number, which again is normally four, by four or more, you have achieved a raise and you have the result a success with a raise, which is usually an improved result. In combat, it even results in more damage being done. Every four points over the target number is a raise, and normally one raise is enough to get you the raise effect. But when you are rolling against other characters, so you're comparing your trait roll to their trait roll rather than a static target number, or when you're attempting to soak damage, which we'll talk about later, Multiple raises can be very useful. So something else that wild card characters get are bennies. Bennies, short for benefits, are usually poker chips. And you get three, sometimes two, depending on hindrances, sometimes four, depending on edges, that allow you to do certain things. You can spend a benny to, to re-roll a trait. So anytime you fail a trait, as long as it's not a critical failure, you can spend a Benny to try to re-roll. You can use it to instantly recover from Shaken, which is one of the damage mechanics in the game. If I were to do damage and it doesn't beat your, uh, your target number by four, then you are Shaken. You can also use them to draw a new action card. Let's say you get an action card that is lower than you want to be in the initiative. You can spend a Benny to get a new one. You can spend a Benny to re-roll damage separate from a trait roll because damage is separate from a trait roll, but you can go ahead and spend a Benny to re-roll that damage. If you've got an arcane background, you can spend a Benny to recover some uh, power points. And one of my, uh, well, two more things. Uh, you can spend a Benny on soak rolls which is how you can prevent wounds on your character. And one of my favorite things, you can spend a Benny to influence the story. Now, granted, this one's kind of up to the game master, but let's say your characters are stuck and need an additional clue. Spend a Benny and boom, there you go. So initiative is a little bit different in Savage Worlds than it is in most games. Rather than rolling a die for initiative, you're going to draw cards. Now, you'll notice that a lot of the terminology in Savage Worlds, like raises and acing, are card-based terminology. That's because if you go all the way back to Deadlands, things were done with poker chips and poker cards to give you that Wild West feel. So everybody's going to be drawing from a standard poker deck for their initiative. Um, the cards with a face value are taken at their face value. The Face cards are taken in order. Um, Jack, Queen, King, Ace. Um, and the two Jokers in the deck are kind of special. When you draw a Joker, you can go at any point within the initiative order you wish to go 
including interrupting someone else as they're stating their action. Also, you'll get bonuses to your trait rolls and damage for that round. Now, as soon as a Joker comes out on the table, the deck gets reshuffled. So the Jokers are always potentially in play. There are some edges that can have an effect on your initiative draws. For instance, there are edges that allow you to have really fast reflexes. That could either be a natural thing or from cyberware in a setting like Sprawl Runners. And it says, hey, if you draw a card that's less than X, redraw until you grab a card that is more than X. Um, so that's how initiative works in Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds also has a lot of situational rules. I love situational rules because they always cover the kinds of things that player characters think of. Your character wants to spend a little time aiming. Guess what? There's a name rule. Area effect attacks such as breath weapons or grenades. Well, they use a templating system that shows you how much space that covers. Um, you'll pretty much find everything you need uh, and pretty much all situations covered inside of the situational rule section of the rule book. So some of the sections that you'll find in the rule book of these situational rules, chases and vehicles. Savage Worlds has a very robust chase system that uh, they even have a small deck of cards you can use to assist with the chases. There are dramatic tasks. Uh, think disarming the bomb if it takes multiple actions or things that are going to take a little bit of time and ratchet up the drama of a given uh, given scene. There are interlude rules. There are mass battle rules to allow you to do huge fights that uh, use more than just moving your miniatures and rolling for individual shots. There's social networking rules. So there are rules for pretty much anything you need built into Savage Worlds. And for those things that aren't included in the core book, there are specific setting rules and even third-party publishers that are um, adding things all the time. Just today, I came across a set of rules for doing aircraft dogfights in Savage Worlds. So there are situational rules for almost anything. And Jeff mentioned something uh, when talking about that. Savage Worlds is a miniature system. It's got integrated miniatures rules in it. All of movement and weapon ranges are in inches of tabletop space. The uh, templates that I was talking about before, those are in inches of tabletop space. It's all for seamless integration of miniatures combat. Right. And that's something else that's interesting with the wild cards and extras. As combat goes uh, goes on, you find that extras are either up, down, or off the table. There is no damage recording for extras. Savage Worlds doesn't have a hit point system. Basically, you have a toughness, and then you have a couple of attributes that can be used to resist either physical or mental damage. And when that damage comes in, you're either shaken or uh, you are wounded. Extras, in effect, are either shaken or gone. No tracking of wounds for them. Wild cards have a set number of wounds. Generally, that number is three, but different settings can change that, and different species can change that as well. Wild cards will always have the benefit of multiple wounds and the wild die, and that's what sets them apart from extras. 
So another thing that Savage Worlds has, and this is because Savage Worlds is a generic rule set, and there are specific settings for Savage Worlds. Uh, These are called setting rules, and these are designed to emulate different genres or tropes, and the use of setting rules is a great way to get the feel of your game right. Now, you can have stuff like Born a Hero. Heroes may ignore the rank qualifications of edges during character creation. They must still meet any of the other requirements as usual. The usual rules for rank requirements apply after character creation. Or there's another one called Creative Combat. And this is when you make tests to make the game more exciting and memorable as opposed to just straight out uh, roll versus target number. Creative combat enhances a pulp style game with additional benefits for those who test with a raise. A successful test works as usual, but if a wild card character succeeds with a raise while in combat, her foe is not automatically shaken. They roll on the creative combat table. And so with a raise, you can get like a second wind or inspiration, double whammy, shaken, setback, insight, or seize the movement. Now, we when we were coming up with setting rules, we actually created a, a new setting rule for our game, Dominions of Steel, which is also Savage Worlds. And that's called Expanded Armory. And with Expanded Armory, we split out the attributes inherent in firearms and the attributes inherent in the ammunition. That way people could customize their weapons easier. So while we're talking about advancement in Savage Worlds, your characters sort of level up, but it's not a strict level system in in the literal sense. There are various experience ranks, and there are a number of advances within each rank. Every time your character gets an advance, you have a menu of things that you can improve during that advance. And every so many advances, you move up an experience rank. Uh, the defaults are, of course, in the Suede book, but you can change those values depending on your setting. One of the things that you can do when you advance is increase an attribute, but you can only do this once per experience rank. You can raise skills, and this is where attributes become important. If you're raising the skills below or at the level of the attribute they're linked to, you get to raise two. However, if you're raising a skill above the attribute level it's linked to, you only get to raise one. So it's much more efficient to raise skills that are below or equal to your attribute level. You can choose a new edge. Um, That allows you to add add an edge to your character sheet, possibly paving the way up a chain to other edges. Um, It's very free form. And in the older versions of Savage Worlds, it used experience points. In the current version, it's really more of a um, paced advance based on how fast your game master wants you leveling up. So there's an optional rule that I really enjoy with my Savage Worlds games called the Adventure Deck. You have the Action Deck, which is your poker deck that you use for initiative. But the Adventure Deck is an additional deck of cards available from Pinnacle that does other things. For example... Um, Each character is dealt one adventure deck card for each of their experience levels. And we'll probably talk about experience levels in here. Uh, They're referred to as rank in Savage Worlds, and they start out as novice. So a novice character would get one of these cards, and they would get to spend them at some point during the game. Those cards may be, say, Ace, 
play instead of rolling to automatically succeed at a trait roll with a single raise. Or something more story-based and interesting, like enemy. Play on an enemy wild card in the first round of combat. You may not soak wounds from his attacks for the rest of this encounter, but you immediately draw three adventure cards and keep one of your choice. You may play another adventure card this session. Or folk hero. Play after you save a group of people from dire circumstances. The community adopts you and your party as local heroes, and you can always find aid here. So these cards add some really cool stuff that can happen and even help influence your story. I highly recommend using them. One of the things I absolutely love about Savage Worlds is the customization. They did a really good job of breaking down the rules for generating species. There are rules to create magic and new powers. The edges are designed in a way that if you don't see something you want, you can find something similar and build it out from there. Everything is highly customizable. Not to mention, what I said about setting rules comes into play and make sure every Savage Worlds game is a little different. So we're going to talk about some Savage settings now. The As Bobby pointed out, the Savage Worlds core book is setting agnostic. You can do anything you want with it, which means there is a huge market for first party and third party Savage Worlds settings, um, including the one Bobby and I have recently written. So... The big ones, the ones that come straight from Pinnacle and can be used by you to create any setting you want, are the Companions. Right now, there are three Companions in play. The Superpowers Companion, the Sci-Fi Companion, and the Fantasy Companion, with the Horror Companion coming soon. All of these Companions contain the genre-specific rules and advice for GMs for taking Savage Worlds deep into that particular genre. Um, you know, comic book heroes for superpowers, science fiction includes rules for spaceships, fantasy includes more rules for magic, and you can basically take these and do what you want with them. You can even mix and match. You could do a sci-fi horror with those two companions or fantasy superheroes with those two and end up with something like Masters of the Universe. The companions are very, very cool. Um, they are available in PDF and as hardcover books that are each about the size of Suede in, uh, in their own right. So the, the settings for Savage Worlds are, I kind of define them as you have the original settings that were created for Savage Worlds, and then you have settings that were converted to Savage Worlds. I mean, the, you have the granddaddy setting, that's Deadlands. And they've expanded that to include Deadlands Noir, Deadlands Lost Colony, and Deadlands Hell on Earth. Um, the first version of Deadlands became Savage Worlds. And then these additional settings all build off on that. Deadlands Noir is 1930s gangsters. Lost Colony uh, takes place on an alien world. And it just so kind it just so happens to coincide with Deadlands Hell on Earth because when Deadlands Hell on Earth work or happens, the the colony in Lost Colony becomes lost. Um, Deadlands Hell on Earth is what happens when the bad guys win. In addition to that, you have some other original settings for Savage Worlds. There's Twelve to Midnight in its sequel, East Texas University. Both are set in East Texas town of Pine Box, Texas, and you can discover horrors in the backwoods, which there are a lot of horrors in the backwoods of East Texas. So there's also the Weird Wars books. Um, 
So there's a group called the Twilight Legion, which is tied to Deadlands and several other properties. And they are involved in various weird wars throughout history, like Weird Wars Rome, Weird War One, Weird War Two, and uh, Tour of Darkness, which is Weird War Vietnam. All of these games could be played as straight games, war games set in that time period, but they also include supernatural elements and, say, Nazi werewolves and things like that in the settings that you can use. Um, there's also The Last Parsec, which is a space opera with planetary exploration, uh, cutting-edge science, limitless space frontiers, I've been told that that is Shane Hensley's love letter to Star Frontiers, and I am totally here for it. And so now we're going to talk about, we, we have Interface Zero and Sprawl Runners. Both of these are cyberpunk games. Interface Zero I spoke about earlier. It's a fully fleshed out cyberpunk world. Sprawl Runners, kind of like a companion we were talking about earlier, but this one's for cyberpunk. It's agnostic cyberpunk. These are just the rules for how to do cyberware, how to do hacking, uh, stuff like that. The, the kind of tropes that you'll find in a cyberpunk setting. Another cool setting for Savage Worlds is Rippers. And this is what happens when Jack the Ripper forms an evil cabal and brings the Victorian world to its knees. This was inspired, if you look at the, the cover art for the book, this is clearly inspired by the movie Van Helsing. So there's a game coming out later this year called Dominions of Steel. Giant stompy robots in Savage Worlds. It has the feeling of uh, Game of Thrones with giant robots or Dune with giant robots. Um, so you could you could uh, play out your knights with super-sized power armor fantasies. Um, there are some other settings that have been converted to Savage Worlds that either were original games of their own or games under a different system. Uh, space 1889, Victoria-era space setting. You have luminiferous ether between the planets, and your ether flyers can travel to Martian and Venusian colonies. There's extraterrestrial life. There's also a very interesting invention system that allows your characters to invent weird steampunk Victorian technologies. Um, one of my personal favorites, Savage Rifts. It brings the Rifts game from Palladium Books to Savage Worlds, and it does it in a particularly wonderful way. One of the things that was introduced in Savage Rifts that I think is a great, great addition to the Savage Worlds setting is the iconic framework. It's a way to do character classes without doing character classes. Um, Savage Worlds is definitely worth checking out. Something else, and this one was a really big surprise for me when it was announced, was Savage Pathfinder. Now, the Pathfinder RPG, its its genesis happened during the uh, the OGL 1.1 days, and uh, you know it it was arguably considered D and D 3.75, and they they absolutely exploded onto the market. I I can go anywhere and find Pathfinder books. When they announced that they were uh, partnering partnering with Pinnacle and creating an official, like an officially ported over version for Suede, it blew my mind. And a lot of the rules that were created for Savage Pathfinder, you'll find in the new Savage uh, Fantasy Companion. And so you can really, it really allows you to grow and expand your fantasy world. 
And then we both, Jeff and I, have a friend who created another game called Kethos. And this was originally created for both 5e and Suede. And then there was a system kind of agnostic version of it. Um, and this provides a, a real world look as written by a, a, a history professor of how a fantasy setting could grow. One of my first writing credits was actually some some intro fiction for the Kethos, uh, the Kethos game. So out there on the internet, there are some resources for Savage Worlds that are pretty useful to Savage GMs and Savage players. One that I've used myself is called Savage.us. It is a website that allows you to create characters and track your campaign for Savage Worlds. And it even has the rules built in for some of the more popular Savage settings, including Savage Rifts and Savage Pathfinder. Um, you can create characters, you can level up characters, which is called an advance in Savage Worlds. You can save the characters, print the characters. It's very, very useful. Now, I'd recently uh, saw an update online about uh, Savage.us, and it's specifically about the creator, Jeffrey Gordon. He recently announced that he has stage four cancer. So things are going to slow down on the site for right now. But he has a team and is opening up the code up to some trustworthy pe people as well as the Pinnacle Group staff. So if the worst, happen worst happens, Savage.us continues. Both Jeff and I wish him a speedy recovery. Absolutely. Another resource you might want to use for your Savage Worlds games are from Litco. Litco Games makes these cool little acrylic accessories that you can use on your tabletop if you are playing Savage Worlds with miniatures, including blast templates for area effect powers and small markers you can put next to your miniatures to mark whether they're shaken or wounded or have any other conditions applied to them. That's a cool one. I didn't know about that. Thank you very much for listening to the Retro Arcana podcast. If you like this content and want to see more, put Retro Arcana in your GM's toolkit by hitting the subscribe button. You can also reach out to us at our website, www.retroarcana.com, or hit us up on Twitter at Retro Arcana. I'm Bobby. And I'm Jeff. And may your dice roll high. Unless you're playing GURPS. <laughs>